This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, I wonder how many of you are the singular executive director or CEO of your organization. Or perhaps you're not the ED or CEO, but you work or volunteer at a nonprofit where there's one singular executive director or CEO. Well, my guess is the majority of you would be. Now, would you be surprised to learn that more and more nonprofits are changing that up and moving away from the traditional executive director hierarchy and exploring co-leadership as their choice? Some of it's coming out of the realization that one executive director or CEO is simply not sustainable and leads to burnout. Some of it's emerging out of a desire to include greater numbers of BIPOC leaders. Well, on the show today are Brooke McKenna and Naomi Spence. They're the co-executive directors at the Hunger Coalition. The Hunger Coalition is a nonprofit organization serving Blaine County, Idaho, which is where the Sun Valley Ski Resort is located. Well, they just recently moved into this model and are learning how to do this co-leadership as they go. But they will tell you that this has absolutely transformed their organization. In fact, I will start out my interview today asking them a bit more about what they do and the food insecurity questions specifically because they provide a nonprofit that serves and addresses the hunger relief for that area. But then after I ask them a few questions about the context of where they're working, then I'll dive in to the question of leadership or specifically co-leadership at their nonprofit and how it's working for them. Enjoy today's show. Well, Naomi and Brooke, thanks so much for being on the show today. Let's start out with the issue of food insecurity. This is a growing need around the country. Could you give us a quick definition of food insecurity and give us a picture of what this looks like in your community? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, food insecurity actually exists on a spectrum, but the basic concept is not knowing where your next meal is coming from. And that can be a severe food insecurity so that that happens to you on a regular basis moderate, uh, occasional, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, and low, meaning that it might just happen every once in a while. Um, And for us here in Blaine County, uh, oddly enough, food insecurity actually looks a little bit different in the fact that we deal with uh, high cost of living here. So in uh, larger urban areas, it might be that more traditional idea of true hunger that might go along with homelessness or uh, traditional poverty where in Blaine County, people may be living well above the national standard of the poverty line, but experiencing food insecurity due to our incredibly high cost of food. The last time we looked, and we still are in the top 10 most expensive counties in the nation for food costs, and that really challenges our families. That's huge. Absolutely. What would you add, Naomi? Uh yeah, I think I think there's that traditional image or of of food insecurity or or people who are hungry and and that is that looks really different here in Blaine County and and it's that's 
sort of a struggle that we've had to sort of paint a different picture for folks of what hunger looks like. If they can't see it or they don't have the image that they have in their head doesn't match what the image of our community members who are struggling are. They they have a hard time understanding that it's real. But uh, food insecurity is definitely in our community, mostly hitting the working population. So working poor people who are working as many hours as they can in a day and still they cannot afford uh, adequate food for their family. And so it's, it's a different image than one that many people who are not familiar or don't live or have not experienced or felt food insecurity to understand. That's so interesting you mentioned that because I live in Park City. As you know, we, we collaborate uh, in terms of uh, through the Mountaintown Coalition. Why do you think it's hard for people to fully grasp the fact that so many people right here in the U.S. and certainly there in Blaine County, here in Park City and Utah, how, why is it so hard for them to understand there are a lot of people struggling with food insecurity and hunger right now today? You know, Brooke and I were actually talking about this yesterday, but it is so hard for people to grasp something that, that does not affect them in any way. They don't see it. There's no visual. They're not feeling it. It is not a struggle for them. And if if you're not close enough to food insecurity, you can't understand what 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 it truly means for somebody to go through that. I think people can kind of jump in and out and, and imagine if they were a mother that was not able to give their child a, a meal at dinner and they knew they were putting their kids to bed hungry, or they were having to compromise, substantially compromise the food they're giving their children. That's heart-wrenching, but they can quickly move away from that image because it's not real for them. And so what we have to do with the Hunger Coalition is constantly tell the story, constantly remind people of what this feels like for those who are experiencing it. And I, I think I hear more than anything from our donors is, I can't believe it's here. I don't see it. Where do these people live? You know, all those comments of, of you know, like just such a, a disconnect from the issues that, that we are seeing every day. Brooke and I live in this world here where we are meeting with and talking with and hearing from our community members who are struggling and we can go a few miles up the road and it is just an incredibly different experience people are having. And and why would they be connected to what we're connected to if it's not right in front of them all the time? So it's an endless struggle to keep people connected to the issue. And we're just always creatively trying to remind people and, and tell that story in a really profound, but also super respectful way of folks that are going through this. So it's, it's kind of an endless juggle. Well said. Yeah. Brooke, what would you add to that? The only thing I would add to that is that it's really, I think the other struggle that people have on grasping the reality of is they continually, most people, I should say, who are so disconnected from food insecurity might continually say that people are struggling with food insecurity due to poor choices. You know, we're constantly trying to help people overcome that understanding. They just think, oh, oh, you don't have enough money left for groceries. Well, that's because you chose poorly. Are you, you, is it your car? Is it your house? Is it because you go uh, shopping for clothes? Like, where is it? Like you should be sacrificing all of those things in order to afford groceries. When that isn't what's happening at all, it truly is. I make $400 a week. I have to pay for gas. Or all of those other things, right? The house, the electricity, yada, yada. And that's that one piece of sort of dismissiveness that I constantly see in the narrative, especially in um, national media, that it must come down to people making really poor decisions if they are working. And that's just not the reality. 
Well, I could so relate to that. You know, we have people here in Park City and the greater area, Summit County and uh, Wasatch County for us. And there are families that are choosing between can I pay rent or can I feed my kids? Like it's those real realities. And with the inflation right now, the way it is and the price of everything, gas and food, which you alluded to, it's brutal. It really, really is difficult for people that are working families, as you mentioned. We have many people, sounds like you do too, that are working one, two, maybe three jobs. So they're working. It's just those jobs, the wages aren't high enough to keep up with the increase in cost. So you mentioned it's an ongoing struggle in a sense. It's an ongoing way of just communicating some of the, what have you found to be some of the best ways to combat the misunderstanding around that? What have you really, have you done some creative things around that? Is it through social media? What have you done to really make sure that people are clear about this and you clear up the misconceptions? Maybe we'll go with uh, Brooke first and then Naomi. Honestly, it's our constant communications of real stories, right? So it's really attaching an actual person to it. And obviously this is a very big challenge for us because nobody wants to put themselves out there with their struggles, right? We're asking you to share some very intimate details about your life. And so for those people who are brave enough to come forward and actually share their story, you know, we try to respect that as much as possible. And then really put that out there to let people know that this is, there's a real person behind this. This is a reality and we are all human. It's a constant effort to humanize these people who are experiencing uh, food insecurity. And, you know, I know that Naomi will expand on this quite a bit because she's working closely with our communications department, but it's also about not sharing the usual story of woe and sadness and, you know, the doom and gloom of food insecurity. And that's really been what the narrative has been for quite some time. And, the reality is we need people to know that the people who are the famous are struggling with food insecurity are humans. They have ups, they have downs, there's positives, there's negatives, there's crisis isn't always happening. It's just things may be happening from the outside that create these situations. It's important for us to just keep hammering that point. Well said. Naomi, what would you add to that? Yeah, the, the two narratives we do everything we can to avoid are the, the really sad sad, pitiful stories that people love to, to use. And then also the bootstraps and the glory stories where somebody overcame this incredible hardship and now they're, you know, really just thriving. Those two stories are really harmful. And there are two stories we used in the past often and we learned the hard way that this was causing harm for folks. And so we're really trying to focus on the, the, that story where, you know, People are doing everything they can, and there's a system that is working against them. And there are things that are not in their control and that are constantly creating obstacles that not all community members have these obstacles. And that's something that is really important to say, and a lot of people don't want to hear about. You know, they it's easier for people not experiencing food insecurity to latch on to the bootstrap story, that success story, or the sad story because that's really far away from their reality or it's something that they love to celebrate. But that's not what's going on with the vast majority of the folks that we're working with. And so we're talking about the issues that they are challenged by in our community and talking about how the community can break those challenges down. That's a really big, humongous, overwhelming concept for for us, for everybody, but it's the direction we need to be going. And then we also just need to remind not only the public, but the people we're working with 
who are you beyond your crisis? Because if you lose sight of who you are beyond your crisis, you lose energy motivation to, to move through it and, and take care of yourself through the process and honor yourself and love yourself through the process. And so that's why we created the space that we've created is to celebrate not only, um, you know, or, or, or work with not only the crisis, but then help people have that ability to jump in and out of the place that they are in their life. And, and we like to receive them in whatever version that is of themselves and give them opportunity to engage on whatever level they can. Oh, that's well said. I really like that. In fact, for my listeners, I encourage you to check out the Hunger Coalition. Uh, as I mentioned on the outset, um, this is this serves Blaine County, but it's the Sun Valley Ski Area. And they do some really interesting things. Uh, you two are doing, your whole organization are doing some unique things around addressing both food insecurity and food waste, while you're also engaged in the community in very creative ways. So maybe talk a little bit more about the Hunger Coalition. Talk about some of the most unique aspects of your organization. Well, I'd say probably the most unique aspect that we have going on right now is the community food center that we uh, recently opened, or at least in this past year, modeled after the community food centers of Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. That's where it came from. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And obviously, you know, they are working on poverty in a different way in Canada. They have many more of those government-supported social services to really aid people moving through life that we don't have here in the, in the States. But what we really enjoyed about the community food center concept is, is exactly what Naomi is talking about, this concept of being able to be received in a space that feels warm, welcoming, inviting, beautiful. You know, the working poor don't have a lot of beautiful spaces that are dedicated to them and for them. Right, we've got a lot of beautiful museums and libraries and musical spaces. Well, here we are trying to create a space that feels incredibly good for them to come in, sit down, share a meal with us, and share a little bit more about what's going on in their lives. And that helps us understand some patterns that might be going on in our community, which then might help us be able to bring some community organizers together to actually help us build solutions to those issues that are going on in our community. So that's really the difference that we have. We're not a traditional food pantry. We've really moved beyond that concept of that Band-Aid approach, right? 20 years under our belts now of pushing food out into our community, and we're still serving record numbers of people. So Pushing the food out there isn't working. So it's got to be this bigger solution and it's got to be more people working together to craft those solutions. Um, it's so interesting you say that because I can relate as I'm leading you know, two different food pantries. Uh, we talk about success would be at some level people not coming back to the food pantry eventually, right? They get in a high enough wage job or they're able to get back on their feet or whatever the situation is. And then they eventually move away from the food pantry. But ironically, we're having the same situation where we're seeing record numbers. Now, partly it's because I think probably your organization, our organization, hopefully we're being very effective and getting the word out, letting people know there is food available. And then right now, of course, we talked about earlier, cost of everything is so high. People really do need extra food, even if they have a good paying job that really helps them offset some of the other costs. But I love how you're stepping back to say, something's not working. Let's look at it more comprehensively and let's look at it in a broader way. So Naomi, what else could you add to that in terms of how you're trying to approach it a little bit differently? 
Well, we're also really committed to making sure the people that we serve, we, we refer to them as our participants, are involved in the process. So when we built the community center, we did a slew of over months and months, we did focus groups. We had different demographics. We had them come in and talk to us about the the, the way that they would want the space to be used, what they would hope to get out of this space. So they helped us truly build the design of the space so that once we built it, they saw their feedback in 3D, right? They they asked for a children's area. They wanted a certain color scheme, energy, vibe, the music, the food that we're giving out, the food that we're growing in our greenhouses. We are incredibly fortunate here to not only be a community food center that distributes emergency food. We also have a huge commercial kitchen. We have an area for young children. We have an area for teens. We have greenhouses that we're growing food year round. So we have taken all of the most extraordinary parts of the food system and community system and put them in one space. And that has been a vision we've had for almost 20 years, and we finally have been able to do it. You know, we understand and recognize we're really fortunate to be able to do that because we live in an area where the generosity and the people that live here are so dedicated to us. They are so committed to the work that we've been doing for these 20 years that when we say this is really what needs to happen, we we are, we get the support that we need to make it happen. But, you know, that wasn't always the case. You know, of course, you know, if young nonprofits are, are listening in and saying, I could never do that, you can. It's not going to happen overnight. But building your donor base, building your participant base, hearing from them what is missing in our community, what are the deficits for their population or their culture, and then being able to bring that to our donors and build something, there's all different scales that you can do. When we went to Canada and we toured all of these different community centers, food community centers, they all did something different. And I wanted to do all of them and then realized like that. maybe we can do most of them. So we put all of it in one space because we're a small town and we don't have a lot of other nonprofits that are doing direct food work. So we were like, okay, well, we got to be everything and also create space where our partners, other social services can come and use our space and offer their services here because we're big believers in one-stop shopping for our participants who already have a million things to do in their day. We want to create a space where they can come and get multiple needs met and all parts of their family have a different way to engage. So whether it's the grandparents, the parents, the children, the babies, the teens, everybody has something that we're offering. I love that. That's so great. And again, I encourage people to check it out, go to their website because there's some more great information. And I do think you are bringing a lot of unique things to your particular food pantry that is now being picked up by other people. So well done on that. We'll be right back. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. When you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. 
Now, I do want to shift a little bit to leadership because um, there's a couple of things interesting. You both, of course, have key leadership positions in your organization. You've been there for a while. And here's the, the most u- unique thing in my mind. You two are both co-executive directors. Now, that's pretty rare to have co-executive directors. It's not unheard of, of course, but it's just rare. Um, so talk about it. How is that working? How did your organization come to the conclusion that you needed a co-executive director versus just one? Well, first, we recognize that we are in a unique position in that Naomi and I have been working together for over a decade. So we've had a decade to figure out our our working methods and collaborate our strengths and our, you know our weaknesses and how we overlap. So we recognize that that in and of itself is special. But really, we have made a pointed effort, at least for probably the last five or so years, to adopt a distributed leadership model. So this is really this concept of no one person having ownership over everything. It really is. We want to make sure those people who are uh, working at a coordinator, supervisor, manager level, have input, have ownership over their own areas, and then uh, work collaborative, collaboratively with other program um, teams and all that kind of stuff. So hierarchy isn't something that feels good to us here. So there's really that. We've already been sort of moving in that direction. Yeah, and having a lot of people, a lot of seats at the table and listening to a lot of voices for all of the things that we're trying to do as we move. Um, And the other reality is that a single ED in a nonprofit arena just isn't sustainable anymore. That old model of working 60 to 80 hours a week, absolutely sacrificing all of your life to your organization, to your cause, isn't healthy. And it really isn't a good model for the organization to have this one person with all this power and all this knowledge doesn't create long-term success for an organization. So distributed leadership, they gets people cross-trained. It gets a lot of people feeling ownership over the organization. And it also creates a fantastic career path for people if we're continually building leaders who come in at that assistant or those entry levels and really work them into this leadership, this ownership concept. And they can either stay with us and keep growing or they move on and they go impact the community in greater, better ways um, outside of the Humber Coalition. And quite honestly, Naomi and I are working mothers. We have families. You know, we don't have the ability or desire to dedicate the 60 to 80 hours a week. Naomi's shaking her head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love, you said something really profound. You know, you're saying that this model does not work anymore with this single executive director. And maybe Naomi, you can answer this. Why aren't more people going to this model then of a co-executive director? Well, you know, it's funny. This is new for us. We are incoming co-executive directors. Our incredible outgoing executive director has done this for a really long time. And she did have to make a lot of sacrifices and she's aware of that. And, and we've learned honestly what not to do from her. And we, she's, she knows this. The three of us have worked really closely for a long time. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're trying to look at things differently. We're also learning so much from the younger generation workforce who is being raised with different 
priorities they are asking for and advocating for themselves in a different way for work-life balance. And we are listening loud and clear. Like they are, they have so much to offer us. And so we have no interest in being heroes. Our staff is extraordinary. Our frontline staff, our back-end staff, I mean, they are so committed and they bring such a variety of skills. And we try to do everything we can to celebrate that. And, you know, decisions on the front lines are being made daily with very little supervision from direct supervisors because we train our people from the ground up to be leaders of their own domain. And that allows us to do bigger strategic planning and different work and get out of their way because we don't need to be in their way. And, you know, what we're seeing is all of a sudden, all these other EDs are like, hey, I heard what you're doing. I want to do that because I'm just... I'm be, being buried. And, and so we do feel that this is hopefully a direction people are going to go. And, and, and you do have to let go of a lot of traditional power structures. I mean, this is it's not just a natural, easy thing to do if you've been living in a different structure for a long time. So it's a commitment on all levels, board, staff, leadership to make really significant shifts to the way that you probably have been raised in a professional environment and how to unlearn a lot. So when we get staff coming here from environments that are much more systems-based or much more really traditional, we know that they need at least six months to unlearn a lot of things that are not going to work in our space. And that's been really fun to sort of watch them unlearn and then realize that they have so much more to offer and contribute. And as soon as they truly feel that, it's like they just like explode with skill and with energy and passion and commitment. And I mean, they just recognize their power in a a way that they didn't ever have the ability to. And that is definitely my favorite part of distributed leadership is when you watch someone, like it clicks and it's just so fun. Well, I really like this. You know, I think this is a very interesting conversation. And so one of the pieces of this would be a focus as a leader. And there's a lot of conversations about this in leadership books and, and blogs, et cetera. And it's kind of this, I'll restate the question. Does an effective leader need to focus on one key area of strength or do you feel like effective leaders focus on a lot of different areas? They're well-rounded and they seek to shore up their weaknesses. What has been your experience around this issue of balance and focus? And maybe Naomi, you could speak to this first and then Brooke. Yeah, well, what I'll say to that is, you know, Brooke and I as co-leaders are very intentionally, we complement each other and we don't both do everything. So I am front end, frontline staff, people, programs. That is my magic. It's what I love to do, program development. And Brooke is incredibly skilled at financial operations, all of those things. And we can come together when you know, collaboration needs to happen and decisions need to be made. We have really intense director meetings every single week with all of our directors. We have managers meetings. And so what we have done is we have then identified where are our deficits and who do we need to bring along with us? So we are really good at certain things, but we also are really good at building the right team around us to be well-rounded. I do think both of us have a lot of hats and we have a lot of ability to cross over. The cross training is extremely important on all levels of our organization. We have our 
fundraisers down in the warehouse if it's busy and they're packing boxes and they're checking people in and vice versa. So cross-training is incredibly crucial, but also there's no need for people to be competitive in their lane because they know that this is where I'm the leader. This is where I specialize. And then I bring people in when I need to. And there's not a lot of ego there. So it's really nice to be able to know that this is your skill set, but be able to jump out of it when you need to so that you can support your peers. So it's a little bit of both, like what you're saying. I We are all really well-rounded here on every level from the farmers are also signing donation letters in the winter, right? Like we really are moving things through so everybody can support each other, but people do have their specialty where they get to really dive deep and like build their craft and, and do go, go deep in the area that is, is best suited for them. That's excellent. Brooke, what else would you add to that? And I want to add another question after you man answer. Yeah, I think I would add that the way I sort of envision or feel about effective leadership really is kind of this concept of being able to wear a lot of hats, but choosing not to wear them all. You know, it really is that idea of I understand and or have done absolutely everything that everybody else is doing here at some point. So I know it. I love it. Right. I have a compassion for what my coworkers are doing. Um, and I have some pride in what they're doing and I know how to do it, but I don't want to do it. Right. It's that delegation and um, that sharing that's really important. And then also that ability to give direct feedback and guidance as needed. Right. There's still an oversight function, but it isn't so much a, a like a command or a domineering presence. It's a hey. Maybe think about doing that a little bit differently, right? Because it's still understanding and respecting people's ownership of their spaces, but also just giving them your gift of age, <laughs> knowledge, experience, and just being like, hey, have you thought about this? I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. this is good because you're getting to the tension, I think, that every nonprofit feels, every, every nonprofit leader specifically, and every nonprofit staff to be specific there is a sense that nonprofit leaders are really good at wearing lots of hats, partly because you have to be, right? Particularly if you're starting an organization, you're trying to grow that organization, you just have to wear a lot of hats. So just, you don't have enough money, right, to hire for every single position, and it's really difficult to focus on one area. And then you've also brought up that it is important to have some cross-training for just the strength of the organization. And yet, I like what you both said, that after a while, though, you need to delegate and, and know what you're good at. So how have you gone about that when you maybe you've bumped into some situations where maybe someone thought they maybe were good at a certain area and you realize, no, that's probably not their best area. Let's help you move over here to this area. How did you find that right solution for them that fit what they're good at and what the organization needed? Well, that's so great. And, and I think it's not even what the right fit is. It's like where your passion lies. It's just more, I'm thinking instead of like what the deficit is, is like, what's the opportunity for, for our staff, which, you know, we've, our HR manager, she started as our warehouse coordinator. Like that's how wild our crossover has gotten. Like that is pretty wide. That is. That's, is yeah. yeah. So it's like, we bring our receptionist is now our community organizer. Like, 
People come in at entry level, which we actually, most of our staff comes in at an entry level coordinator or assistant position because we believe very much in people building skills within the organization and learning our culture before taking on a lot of responsibility. And so it's really fun to see people come in and they think, you know, they apply for this position and think this is their skill set. And then all of a sudden their mind is blown because they're actually part of conversations that at most organizations, they're not a part of. So we have a weekly staff meeting that we've had since we were a staff of three, and now we're a staff of 20. So we've never stopped doing this, even though it's a pain in the butt sometimes to coordinate everybody. Every Wednesday from 1130 to one, we have an all staff meeting. We have, we bring lunch in and it is a working lunch and the conversations every week change, whether it's a full staff training on suicide ideation or whether it's personnel policy. It's a full all-staff conversation where everybody is hearing from each other. Everyone is weighing in on things that are actually not on their plate, but they get to hear the process of decision-making. And what that has done for us is it's exposed our whole staff to different things that are going on that they never thought they would find interesting. So if we see that they might not be thriving in one area, area, we can have that conversation like, okay, I see this is tough for you. I see that you maybe are not feeling super inspired by this role. What might you be inspired in by that? What have you seen, right? So it's kind of first starting with like, well, what is piquing your interest? And like, is that something that we feel we can invest in with you? Or is this, are they not the right fit for the organization? Which is always that tough piece of like, okay, we pulled, we pulled you in for this, but you are like jazzed about this. And we actually have a position open, but we're going to move you in that area. So it's really more not, you're not the right fit. It's like, you could be a rad fit here. You know, it's just like moving people around and, and that has created a really well-rounded staff and people have found better leadership tracks for themselves than they originally envisioned for themselves. And then we also find out Often that folks are not the right fit for the organization. As we're always saying, do we have the right people on the bus, right? Like you always have to make sure we have the right people on the bus. We're, our work is too important not to have the right people on the bus. And a lot of people, when they get here, they self-select out because we are working really, really hard. We don't work more than 40 hours a week, but what the 40 hours are really intense 40 hours. And so we're, you know, our staff, they understand it's not just a job, it's a movement that they're a part of. And if they're not interested in being a part of that movement, they quickly realize like they're going to move on. And so we're okay with that. You have, you have to be okay with that. Well, that's well said. I really like that. I'd like, you just said something really profound. I think that they're not just part of a job. This is part of a movement. If you're working here, I like that kind of language. I like how you cast that vision. I think a lot of nonprofits maybe start that way. And you kind of lose that. Either you lose the fire or you just get distracted or you get really busy and pulled in multiple directions. So maybe another question along those lines, what is more important in your mind, a well-rounded leader or a well-rounded organization? And maybe you could start Brooke and then Naomi. I don't necessarily feel those are mutually exclusive. I kind of feel like it requires a bit of both. Okay. Okay, good. You want to talk anymore? Share why you think that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it kind of goes back to that concept of being able to handle multiple, wear multiple hats, be able to handle multiple things, you know, in full transparency. Yeah, we're trying to help people find where they're passionate. 
right? But we still have some basic nuts and bolts that always have to be done. And so it's really constantly about inspiring people and helping them feel engaged and connected to our bigger mission when they're doing something as mundane as answering the phones, right? So when we say it's important to be a well-rounded organization, that's part of it. It's part of making sure your receptionist, your admin people, those people who might not be doing the most glorious things, you know, putting boxes on a shelf on a regular basis, still have that connection to the bigger picture, the strategic planning, you know, that can see that what they do contributes to some really big ideas or that they're actually impacting individuals and families in such a positive way on a daily basis. So I would say that you need to be a well-rounded leader who can see that and guide in that direction and make sure that your organization is also well-rounded. Nice. Okay. Naomi, what would you add to that? Yeah. Um, you know, what we've learned in, in over the years is there are areas, you know, people that can't see us, Brooke and I are both white women and we serve a large population of Latino people from all over South Central America, Mexico. Like it's a huge population here. A lot of people are new immigrants and are not English speaking. And it is incredibly important for us to also see where our limits are as leaders. Where is a space that is not appropriate for me to be the one leading, the one making decisions, the one teaching or training? And so as a well-rounded organization, we are putting fully bilingual program staff on the front lines to make sure that anyone that comes is being completely represented in our staff, that our staff is able to respond to all of their needs culturally and with language. And so it's, it's that piece also as us being well-rounded leaders, we can see where our limits are and then we change what our role is. So instead of me running all the programs like I did when I started, I support the team that runs the programs. I do everything I can to get all obstacles out of their way so they can keep moving forward. That is my role now. I'm not the one leading in the front anymore. I'm the one making sure there's nothing in the way of them being as successful as they need to be in their role. And that is a different way of being a well-rounded organization, right? Like the leaders don't always have to be in charge of everything. And the leaders mostly have to see where it is not even appropriate for them to be in charge. And there's a lot of people I know, partners and people in nonprofits that their ego prevents them from saying that. And that's where I always am challenging folks to really look at, okay, where, where am I inserting myself where I shouldn't be inserting myself? when it comes to the people, the population that we're serving. And so that's, that's a tough one for folks to learn, but it's like probably the number one best thing that we have done as an organization and has made us the most successful is being able to do that. Well, well said. Again, thank you so much for sharing your insights today and congratulations to your success. You've done a lot of good work and you're growing. So well done. I encourage my listeners to find out a little bit more information about you. So how can they do that? What's the best way for them to learn about the Hunger Coalition and perhaps learn about both of you? Sure. We have an amazing website, um, thehungercoalition.org. We also have a slew of videos. We make a video, a really nice, well-done video of storytelling every year. We have a YouTube channel, but I think you can see most of the videos through our website. Um, And so we just really love, love collaborating and supporting other nonprofits, young or, or more established nonprofits. We 
where we love, we love to share our knowledge. We um, have learned so much from so many other nonprofits. And I wanted to say one of our heroes in, in distributed leadership and co-leader, co-director leadership, RVC, in their in Seattle. Um, and they have an amazing blog where they we we listen to them and, and read every word they put out because they're so helpful. And we can share all of that, but just just you know, look at our website, reach out to us. We're incredibly friendly. A lot of people ask us for all of our um, you know, all of our stuff on uh, our kids' programs, our bloom truck, our farming, our community kitchen, our all of the different things we love to share. Awesome. All right, good. Brooke, you want to add anything last? I would add sign up for our newsletter. Our, oh, nice. Our yeah. Good idea. Communications. Yeah. Awesome. Woman is just, she has such a beautiful way of expressing our message on a constant basis and sharing our stories. And we are, we try to be as transparent as possible with what's going on with us. And so she does a wonderful job of really putting out there uh, what's going on with us on a regular basis. And uh, RVC is rooted in vibrant communities. They are an amazing organization. Oh, thank you for clarifying that for sure. We'll make sure that's a link in the show notes. Well, again, Naomi and Brooke, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for sharing your insights and appreciate all you do. Thanks, Rob. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.